Well, welcome everybody to the Blow Off Valve podcast. We're your host, Alex and Tucker. And this week, we're going to kind of have a, a bit of a theme to the episode, um, just looking at the kind of the future of, of enthusiast driving and, and where we think it's headed, some of the maybe the good and the bad uh, of, of where it might be headed. And um, But we wanted to start off with the introduction of a new 911 in, in recent weeks, um, the 911T, which is kind of a unique model in Porsche's lineup. They had one in the 991 generation um, that didn't sell all that well. Um, right. But Tucker, do you want to kind of give us the breakdown on, on yeah, kind of yeah, what the idea behind the T is? Yeah. So um, the the 911, the Carrera T is a <clears throat> T for touring. And they, they did have this back in, um, I can't remember what decade it was, but it, it it had a run a long time ago, and then yeah, it was back in came, the seventies. Yeah, yeah, and then it and then it came back in the the nine nine one generation, and it didn't do very well. And mm-hmm. um, people have some commentary about that and thoughts, but I, I think they double dipped a little bit too much. the The base Carrera, you know, had a manual trans transmission and Mm -hmm. um the t also had a manual transmission so it was kind of it was kind of confusing because the the philosophy at least or the the concept of this car is that it is a lightweight car and that it's sporty and Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong you know i've i've read it's kind of like uh, the purest car like the purest carrera yeah yeah and 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 some people argue you know, but that car already exists and it's maybe even better than this. And that's the 718. Mm-hmm. And for a number of us, the 718 is, is, you know, perhaps not as plausible a car because uh, it doesn't have back seats. Right. And, and that's the problem if you're trying to put stuff in the back or kids or things like that. So, so they brought this thing back and it's kind of, an, it's kind of interesting timing because on the Renless forums, there was this guy who I, I got a kick out of. He had been posting for years. He'd always throw up this image with like a big X and it was a cup of tea. And he said, and he always said, no tea, no tea. <laughs> <laughs> and it really, really kind of just, it irritated me. Stirring the pot. <laughs> and then it just became kind of a joke. And and now he's having to eat his words. And yeah. he wasn't, he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't wrong in the sense that does it make sense to bring this car because we're we're probably imminently at the inception of the 992.2 generation right. and someone had actually an interesting comment on on one of the posts and said actually if the 992 is going to be hybridized it gets to be a little bit laughable to to have a 992.2 T when right. you've added in all this battery stuff and recuperation right. ability. It's no longer lightweight or purist. It's, it's kind of <laughs> silly. Yeah. <laughs> so they said, actually, it might make a lot of sense to offer it now um, mm-hmm. before all of that bloat goes into it. Right. And, and so it's well, the cool thing about the car is basically the, and I, and I think Porsche, obviously they're, I mean, they've got so many damn 911 versions. I mean, there's literally <laughs> one for every occasion. Yeah, <laughs> right. Planet. Right. And oh, you're sporty, but you're not that sporty? Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 
with this car, they basically, I think they learned their lesson last time. And so in the base Carrera, they don't offer a manual, which is kind of amazing, but it really mm-hmm. does tell you where we're headed. Right. If in the yeah. base Carrera, it's ch- it's somehow cheaper to put that amazing PDK <laughs> automatic. Yeah. Right. Um, but then if you, the ba- basically Porsche then forces you to jump up to an S if you want a manual, um, a manual, a manual transmission. And if you want things like rear axle steering, mm-hmm. their um, Porsche um, dampers, they got mm-hmm. a word, what is it? Pasm or something for that. Yeah. And then uh, the torque vectoring, mm-hmm. you have to jump up into an S. And so the T kind of fits this niche in between the base and the S where they offer PASM, torque vectoring, rear axle steering, which is an option. Mm-hmm. Um, but with and the additional the kind of lightweighting stuff too. Exactly. Thinner so glass, no rear seats, exactly. unless you want to add them back delete in. Delete the rear seats. Um, mm-hmm. They reduce this, which is interesting because I watched a bunch of Harry Garage. Uh, Harry's garage. I've watched a bunch of his um, videos on the 911, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he always complains about the decibel levels <laughs> in these cars. He's like, they're really loud. Yeah, you know, even like on the S and stuff, it's like oh, it's 80 decibels in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, for better or for worse, on the T, they um, have pulled out more of that sound dampening, mm-hmm. and so it is going to be a little bit louder in there, but. I think the concept behind this car is what you said. It's a dry, it's a purest um, driving dr- driver's experience. And mm-hmm. generally, as I've looked at people specking these on, on forums, most the people get yelled at the most when they mm-hmm. add in too many options, which is kind yeah. of a stunning thing when it, when it comes to right. Porsche, because usually, usually you're want, applauded for that. <laughs> yeah. And here, it's um it's it's really not you know the concept and i i was i'm drawn to this car because i've been as i've said a couple of times on the podcast i've been living in a in our electric future and you know you and i we just traded cars on back roads a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. and i've been and i've been saying this ever since then we're going to, we're going to miss some, the, those of us who are enthusiasts and treat these cars as in, in really kind of like enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to miss that. We're going to miss that. And it's, and I know that because I miss it and I've lived in the electric future and it's great. It is really great. It's wonderful mm-hmm. for daily driving. I think the vast majority of people on the planet are going to make that transition and they're going to be very happy with it. <clears throat> Right, but those of us who are petrol heads um, and really enjoy that are are gonna are gonna miss it, mm-hmm. and um, I I feel like this is a cool offering by Porsche, especially if the dot two ends up hybridized and we've got batteries in there, we've got battery management systems, more cabling, regeneration from the brakes. Mm-hmm. It's just created more weight, right. Um, and, and that's unfortunately kind of like what the 911 has done up until the dot two or the nine nine two when they finally made an effort to condense weight or at least plateau it. Well, we're going to start going back up in weight. Right. And the the interesting thing and size, is, I mean, these things are getting of, big. Yeah. <laughs> and 
and this is what you know you and i were just talking about this so this thing i think it's in the manual because i think the manual is kind of what comes by default it is 060 i think in like 3.8 seconds Mm-hmm. And I think it is, I just, I'm looking 379 horsepower. Right. So obviously in Porsche's world, it's going to be a little bit faster than that mm-hmm. because that's what they, they do. They always underrate their cars. Yeah. But the fascinating thing is, and I just texted you this, I think it was this morning or one of the recent days. I was like, if you look at the 996 Turbo or Turbo S, this is ballpark figures. Yeah, and, and we've we've literally been selling ourselves like we're drug addicts. Like mm-hmm. you need a little bit bigger hit of cocaine. Yeah, and if you well, don't have that, you're not going to be happy. Right. And and so it's like the iterations of the cars have gotten and so much faster mm-hmm. and so much quicker that really, unless you live by a track or a drag strip, and I don't, so I'm kind of stuck out on back roads. Mm-hmm. With my Tycon Turbo, I am going to lose my license if right. I unleash that car. Well, it's like I, I, te- I, I think I replied to you, you know, like realistically, uh, a f- close to 400 horsepower car that does a sub four seconds zero to 60 is all anyone needs on a public road. On a like public that is, road. That's the most <laughs> performance you really like. <clears throat> Much more yeah. than that, and, and we're going to kind of talk about that yeah. coming up. We're going to talk about that. We're getting and in. Think... We're getting into an era of these just so many incredibly fast cars, and you can't use a fraction of the performance. That's. I think that's kind of the problem, and and so really the only opportunity to take that car to ten tenths, if you're in like a Turbo S or a Tycon Turbo S, is out on a track, right? And since a lot of us don't live next to tracks we are tempted to yeah. do or naughty take, things yeah or or they or you don't want to take the risk of, of going yeah 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 and paying for track insurance and all of mm-hmm. that stuff and so i i actually think like if and it's obviously difficult um because it's you know the badge the badge is everything mm-hmm. if you can get past the badge and mm-hmm. look at it as a use case how are you going to use this car I think it fits a really cool niche. And yeah. I think because they didn't offer the manual on the base, you know, your 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 other options are basically to step up to the S, which is probably like I want a luxurious kind of grand touring 911 mm-hmm. and the GTS, which is saying um I I would like a nice car that I can then daily but then also get out on a track once right. in a while. Right. It's not you know, if you're out on the track a lot, maybe you're more a GT3 kind of person, right. you know? And yeah, so I, I mean, think it's kind of a nice niche. The The other criticism I've heard is, and I think it's ridiculous, and I'll explain why, is that that it's a parts bin special. And it's like, okay, well, welcome to the world of Which Porsche. of these isn't? Which of them isn't? They're all <laughs> parts bin specials. They're all, I mean, the engine's basically the same throughout most of the lineup. I think the, the turbo engine is a bit different, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, from a base 911 through a GTS until you get to the GT products and the turbo and turbo mm-hmm. S, they're all variations on a theme. So, right. so to, to complain that it's, 
you, if you're going to call a T a partsman special, you should call the S a partsman yeah. special, a GT they really a partsman are. special. You know, but and, the, but the, and, and there the, are good parts bin. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, what I, I mean, that's the beauty is um, you, and it gives you kind of like a theme to work with. Mm-hmm. And well, it's like I, you said, they make a 911 for just about any yeah, kind of, you can, what's your goal? It's like a, it's like a tailored suit. Mm-hmm. Like it can fit every occasion. Right. Um, and I like that they kind of restrict some options so that you, you don't get carried away in trying to make a turbo S. Like if you right. want that, go buy that. Well, Por- Porsche is very smart in, in not cannibalizing their own sales. Like, hey, you want this specific option? You've got to step up to the GTS for that. Or you want this combination of options? Well, you've got to, you know, you've got to get this trim level, you know? So yeah. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think it's a very interesting, compelling car. Um, I think the lightweighting is really interesting. I like the idea that it's a, it's for the enthusiast that doesn't want to try and throw in the 200 plus thousand dollar range to get a GT three. Yeah. Or, you know, is, is for whatever reason is not as interested in the GTS. Um, so I, I think it's a really, you know, you've been talking about getting a manual transmission sports car to kind of celebrate, um, you know, the likely end of, you know, the relatively simple yeah. um, sports car in our time. And and I think the, you know, I think this, the more I've read about it, the more I think, you know, it could be a really nice fit. Yeah. So Yeah, and that um, simplification <clears throat> is something that uh, we were going to talk about. I found yeah. an article... Yeah, please, please kind of talk about it. This was a really interesting article you sent me, and it kind of gave us the idea for the, the show this week. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of fortuitous with the, the T being unveiled because, you know, I just got uh, the BMW 2002 serviced, and um, I've got uh, the mechanic I work with, and t- I'm very, very blessed that he is in town. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. If he wasn't in town, I don't know that I would have bought this car. Mm-hmm. Um, he services the 2002. He's a BMW enthusiast. Um, has a background with them. You know, before I actually went out and even looked at this car, I called him and said, mm-hmm. "Let's walk through this." How how bad an idea is this? Is this a terrible <laughs> idea? <laughs> and he was he was okay with it because um he's like I can I can service that. It's yeah. um it's OEM parts. Uh there's mm-hmm. no computer chips in it. There's no mm-hmm. interfaces. Like it's just he basically said, you know, we work on a lot of BMWs Audis, Porsches that are out of kind of the new car warranty period, Mm -hmm. um, but aren't overly locked down with software and blah, blah, blah. So maybe you're, you're probably looking at like vehicles up to kind of when I'm in the shop, like anywhere from like my ancient car to um, maybe like 2016s, 2017s kind of maybe. Mm -hmm. And I did actually see a BMW i8 in there once. It was like totally torn apart. So obviously they they do have some appetite for that. But <laughs> so the funny thing about that i8, that guy has blown the engine on that I like know, three times. I know. <laughs> I know. It is true. It's true. 
I don't know whose I ate it is, but I've heard the yeah. story. Apologize <laughs> the follow up on that. But he said, you know, the 2002 is kind of like the the chicken noodle soup for the soul. Yeah, um, it's, it's simple. A, it's a get back to basics. And yeah, this article, I think it was, was it Wired? It was Wired, yeah. It was Wired. And they basically were talking about how this is true of a lot of fields, honestly, and especially in America. And I think a lot of it is in part driven by the baby boom population as they're approaching retirement. Mm -hmm. There's this combination of things going on. One is, oh my God, the Tycon is a great example of this. This thing has microchips everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's got proprietary software. It's yeah. got battery packs. Yeah. Who in the hell? We're working on it. You need to be a computer programmer to work on you, it. You literally do. I mean, I, I got the 2002 oil change, and that thing uses an old-ass paper filter. Mm -hmm. Like it's not even surrounded in metal. It's just a paper filter that you mm -hmm. you put, you unscrew the case, you put it in the <laughs> filter and you screw it on. Like it's like, it's like making your morning cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so I took that in this week. And then today I took my Tycon up for a software update. So I and feel like I'm definitely waiting for you when you get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two different eras. And, yeah. um, and so a lot of that software has kind of like locked down cars. They referenced the to do with uh, John Deere and the tractors. Oh, Basically, yeah. like you, you just can't work on these. Like, right? I so know like you farmers just keep fixing their thirty-year-old John Deeres. Yeah, yeah, and you own it, but you can't work on it. Not allowed. Right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, and so. The same thing is kind of happening with these independent shops, you know, like the, you've got people that are approaching retirement. They mm -hmm. don't, because I think the reference was, it was actually, it was kind of cool. It was like a shop in Minnetonka that works on yeah. Porsches and right. they went through the whole certification process, mm -hmm. probably, you know, spent a bunch of money on equipment. A lot of money. Mm -hmm. You need a bunch of, you know, people who are trained on these computer programs and stuff. And if you're 60 years old or 62 within striking distance of retirement, why do you want to waste your time? You probably, maybe some of you are very good with computers, but I'm just saying with my mom and dad as a reference point, many of you are not, not right. good at computers. <laughs> and right. you're like, oh, well, or, or frankly, not interested. Like yeah. you're not good it's with them like, because you're not interested. You're like, my expertise is dealing with a carburetor, which none of you young guys even know how it works what to do like, with, yeah I, I i don't want to mess with your computers these things are dumb mm -hmm. and and so you've got this like constellation of factors and things occurring at the same time which is kind of precipitously dropping these mm -hmm. independent um auto repair shops right um interestingly one of our one of our fellows a couple of years ago she went out working on the east coast now her dad owned a uh, mechanic shop and mm -hmm. he was a mechanic. And um, I remember we talked a few days kind of ad nauseum about this and his perspective on things as things were changing. And she's like, it's really hard to, for him to recruit young guys to want to work on this stuff. Right. I mean, I'll go, I'll go into the shop with Dave and usually there's like a young kid there working but mm -hmm. you can tell, like, I'll start talking about Audis or BMWs 
like they're really quite knowledgeable so they're obviously mm-hmm. like lunatic enthusiasts. enthusiasts right um and that's who maybe will keep the art alive <clears throat> mm-hmm. but i honestly i frankly i do not know like what i'm going to quite do with the 2002 when dave's like i'm done i'm retired Mm-hmm. I, I honestly i'm not quite sure i'm gonna probably have to buy a big ass trailer and take it to chicago Start hauling it around yeah, yeah i mean i don't know honestly man um and that was kind of like our interestingly enough there's a 2002 on bring a trailer right now that's electrified mm-hmm. um by moment motors and i kind of wonder if that's going to force which is a sad thing not for not for all cars not for all ancient cars like I think some of them can be electrified that the engine wasn't really that engaging or had lots of problems. Right. But then there's some cars that like, I don't think you want to do that. If it's a Ferrari with a naturally aspirated V12. Right. If like, the engine is the centerpiece of the experience yeah, of that like, car, maybe you that's don't not wanna... the one to do that too. Yeah. But um, so anyways, it's an interesting concept as these cars have gotten more complicated Mm-hmm. Um, I think they referenced in that article, like a Cayenne hit a deer or something in the Dakotas. Yeah. Nobody around there knew what the hell to do with it. Nobody had tools. And so they had to ship it to the twin cities, to this mm-hmm. shop. Yep. Because I, I'm sure that if they shipped it to one of the Porsche dealerships, it was like, okay, why don't you just bend over for us? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, exactly. <laughs> your repair. Well, do you have you know, a the, warranty? No. The, oh. <laughs> the other thing they, the other it's thing It's like they going into an ER emergency department without insurance. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to get hurt badly. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing they mentioned, and it's something that I've heard in the realm of exotic cars for a while, but they talked about doing a, a like a suspension alignment on an Audi. Oh yeah, and how, and how expensive yeah. how expensive that is because the all the equipment you need, some of it proprietary to like Audi. Yes. So if you want to work yes. on Audis, you have to get this yes. specific thing. And not only does it cost an immense, it like the entire setup is like seventy plus thousand dollars, but yeah. then doing the alignment they were talking to this body shop owner and I said, yeah, you know, this used to be a job that might take us an hour and a half and now it, it can take four hours or more. Yeah. And, you know, but I remember hearing about this in the realm of some of the computer systems. So like Imola Motorsports up in the Twin Cities is the only shop in the Twin Cities that has the computer, the diagnostic computer system to work on Lamborghinis. And they hmm. spent, I think it was like $35,000 or something like that to be able to do the diagnostic work on Lamborghinis. Yeah. And I think Ferrari had kind of similar stuff. And 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 it created this situation where like, okay, well, now like I have to go to one of these dealerships hmm. because they're the only ones that know how to, or they're, they're the ones that have the you know ability to work on the car because they can... You know, they have the laptop that yeah. can talk to the com- the computer in the car. Um, yeah, it's funny. You know, you mentioned that. I have just a couple of interesting stories behind that as well. Our Audi e-tron, we had a little fender bender. Not too mm-hmm. bad. Um, you know, basically, like, the front left was damaged. You know, lights were kind of busted up. The front part of the fender was kind of pushed back into the wheel well. Mm-hmm. It didn't look 
terrible. Mm-hmm. And this was an eighty some thousand dollar car. The repair bill was twenty three thousand dollars. <laughs> yep. Four thousand dollars of that because I kept that bill more mm-hmm. just like an awe, but also like when we were going to get rid of the car just to prove that we had taken it to one of these places that used OEM parts, right? And was certified by Audi. And they four thousand dollars of that bill was labor and equipment for recalibrating. Mm. This is cameras in mirrors, this is right. radar detectors in mirrors. This mm-hmm. is cameras in the front of the car, radar detectors that allow you to like maintain your distance between the car yeah. in front of you with these like in, intensive c- cruise controls, right. cameras that can look at lane to keep you in the lane yeah. and lane centering. Like, it's all the it's safety all, shit. It's all really cool stuff until it breaks. Yeah. And the, 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 what I'm terrified of is like, my Tycon out of warranty. Mm. Oh God. Yeah. It seems terrifying to me, which is well, no, why it's, when I, it's like all the, you know, back in the day you would have the new seven series, the new S class, the new Audi a eight or whatever that would come out. They were the flagships of those companies and they were the technological pinnacle. The proving right? grounds. Yeah. And then it would, over time, some of that technology would trickle down to the E-Class or the C-Class or 5 and 3 Series, whatever. So, but also, the worst depreciating cars yeah. you could find on the market were those same cars. And that was because yeah. no one wants to touch those things out of warranty. I, it's, I they're, just a tr- they're just a nightmare. I remember when I was in college, and I don't know what I was thinking. But I thought there was, I was down at getting an oil change on my Audi A6 and they had a big seven series there. And I was like, that's a cool car. Like, what do you guys want for that? Maybe, I don't know. And I remember the the manager, the finance manager who my dad and I had known for years and years. He's like, you, you want to stay away from that. <laughs> you don't want to have anything to do with that thing. Trust me. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and in, it, and in. And there was a time in life where even that car you could take to an independent shop and be like, okay, this repair, these mm-hmm. guys at the dealership are saying this is four grand to fix. And you take it to the independent shop and like, we could do that for 1500. Right. Like, oh, bless you guys. Right. Keep my car. I'm not bankrupt. Right. And then it, at the end of the day, the engine like, and transmission were still just an engine and transmission. Yeah. 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 And, and now it's like, well, well, we don't have the software, the computer to gain access to the car. Like we, we can't repair that. You know, right. Like, so you're telling me I have to get it fixed at the dealership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're, wow. you're now, you're now handcuffed because they, they literally don't, you know, a mom and pop shop is not going to want to pay $50,000 to be able to access Audi's diagnostics program. Yeah. Yep. You know, I just, it's not, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense for them. So what ends up happening is, you know, you're, you got this fancy car that has all this tech and you're very proud of it. You're going to pay. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a, and you're, you're not and running a Honda and Civic. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, it's, um, it's nice technology to have. And obviously, like, it is also in a Ford Escape mm-hmm. and cars that are probably not 
a quarter of a million dollars. Well, some of it's and, become legally mandated, like the little lights in the, in the side mirrors and stuff. You know, and the blind true. spot detection. Yeah, and and so, you know, the question is, can really any of us get get around it or get away from it? Like, obviously, it makes mm-hmm. like uh, the the lane departure warning type stuff is really helpful, mm-hmm. and, and is an added like safety thing. Now, mm-hmm. in my BMW 2002, I'm basically in a freaking aquarium, so I, I don't right. have any blind spots. Right. Um, yeah. In my Tycon, I've got B and C pillars, which are massive, massive. Mm-hmm. And well, so I do have blind spots. Here's the analogy, I think, is that, you know, people kind of always talk about how you get prescribed a medication and then you have to take a medication for the side effects of the first medication and on and on, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I take this thing for my pain, but it gives me constipation so then i have to take these other two things etc right we have done the same thing over the last 20 to 30 years with um federally mandated car safety features and i i it's not that i disagree with any of them quite frankly but cars have gotten bigger heavier your your b and c pillars are there for rollover and crash protection Mm -hmm. you've got you know now the the front bumpers can't be these beautiful life things like on your 2002 because yeah. they need to form a crumple zone and a crash structure. Yeah. And so because my B and C pillars are massive for rollover protection, well, shit, now I need blind spot detection yeah. because, you know, now I need a rear view camera and reverse camera because I, yeah, I, I can't, can't look over my right shoulder when I'm reversing can. out. Um, <laughs> so, you know, not that all of them are problems of our own making, um, but a lot of them are. I mean, you look at the weight of cars. There's a reason, you know, part of the reason your 2002 probably weighs, what, 2,200 pounds or something like that? Yeah. And a modern, you know, my quote-unquote light, super lightweight 911 weighs, I don't know, 3,250 pounds yeah. is because... There, even on my super lightweight track 911, there's a bunch of gadgets and a bunch of tech that that has <laughs> to be in there, including you know the PDK gearbox, which is heavy as hell. So it is true, yeah. The thing is actually pretty heavy. It turns out, yeah. You so, save a lot of weight just going from a PDK to a manual. To a manual, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, that's kind of the analogy in my mind is like we've kind of created problems. We've yeah. solved problems and created others that we've then had to solve with some of this, a lot of this technological trickery. And I mean, look at, okay, now you've got a six a six thousand pound or five thousand pound Taycan. Yeah. Well, how do I make this thing go around a corner? Okay. Well, I'm going to have to do real yeah. steering. I'm going to have to do I all need this dynamic control. Yeah. yeah. It's just you, you're <laughs> you can only hide so much of this stuff. Um, you know, and the and the interesting thing really is, is this sustainable? You know, in the 2002, it's uh, just a bunch of linkages and metal and valves opening and closing. Mm-hmm. Um, not no microchips. You know, it's vacuum no lines big, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very simple. My father-in-law says, which is pretty accurate, actually. Yeah, but you know, like. Obviously, we're putting a large environmental cost into building these complex machines. Mm-hmm. 
And can they go 20 years? Like, yeah. what, what, how do we look at amortizing the costs of these, you know, vastly complex machines against kind of the impact we have on the environment and the entropy mm-hmm. we create trying to assemble them? Like, does mm-hmm. it, is it, is it sustainable? I mean, and that's kind of where I was intrigued by the 911T where it's really a little bit more is uh, less or less is more, I guess. Well, it's, I think I, I texted you this, you know, I said, it, I love how simple my 911 is. Like, yeah, you did. Yes, you did. compared to a 1970s 911, it's incredibly complex. But at the end of the day, it's a hell of a lot simpler than your Taycan. Yeah. It's a hell of, and when, you know, it's still mechanical. In, yeah. Now that you're in a position where you're like, I want to keep this bad boy going as long as I can, that's mm-hmm. going to pay nothing but dividends. Right. I mean, that's the problem. Like, you don't, you know, you occasionally see. I guess think about it this way. How often do you see a 20-year-old Honda Civic on the road? Probably not that uncommonly, you know? How often do you see a 20-year-old S500 Mercedes? Yeah. <laughs> not very often. It's like, like bankrupt somebody. Be, because <laughs> at a certain because at the end of the day, like even if a, even if you bought the car for say 10 grand, <laughs> it was still a hundred grand new. And when it comes to buying parts and getting service, yeah, it's a fraction of that. And so I learned that painful lesson with my Audi A6. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Which you, I got a really good deal on and then quickly realized these parts aren't cheap. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, my mom had a used 7 Series BMW when I was in high school. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's when it right. came time to replace the battery... Uh, I think they about had a stroke when they found out the battery was like 600 <laughs> bucks to replace because it was gigantic. <laughs> um, and so it, it's, you know, there's a reason that a Honda Civic keeps on kicking or a Toyota Corolla yeah. or whatever. It's it's because at the end of the day, they're not, compared to a lot of other things, they're not that complex. And they yeah. can be kept going quite yeah. easily. Yeah, and it's and it is one of the interesting things I've reflected on with the EVs. Um, in my experience with the Taycan so far, is you know we do we do, and this is exactly what we're talking about tonight. We do say that I mean I don't need an oil change, I don't need spark plugs, I don't need all these other things, mm-hmm. and and from that perspective, maintenance perspective, it's gotten more simple. Mm-hmm. But oh my God, there is a neural net. Mm-hmm. freaking microprocessors and control units and software. Yeah. I mean, my car is up for this big quote, okay. new update, mm-hmm. um, which is bringing it. I've got a 2020. It's kind of bringing everything, standardizing everything to the 2023 model year. You know, the last time I had a big ass software update like this, the car was out of commission for like over a month because mm-hmm. of control unit issues and stuff. I, I assume this one will be smoother because those were very early days. But we've, yeah. we've, like you said, we've simplified. We've gotten rid of a lot of things, but we've made things much more complicated. And mm-hmm. so I don't know that there was actually a, a huge net gain in terms yeah. of simplicity with the EVs. That'll be yet to be determined. Well, they don't have to be this complicated. They don't have to have all this gadgetry. Mm-hmm. But that's just like what everyone expects from them. Like, well, my oh, my well, biggest concern it should be the future, and that should have right. like gadgets. 
Well, my, my biggest concern, uh, I have many, but one of my big concerns is with because of how complicated these cars are, you know, what a lot of people would do when they got, say, a new S-Class, they would drive for two, three years, and the entire car is predicated on being the latest and greatest. So when it was no longer the latest and greatest, they either they had been leasing it and they turned it back in, or they sold it and bought the the new one, right? So with EVs, they're all incredibly complicated, like you said. And does this do they just turn into serially leased vehicles? I don't know. That eventually instead of having a twenty 25 year road life like uh say a new toyota camry might do they are are they in a junkyard yeah in 10 years because no one wants to buy a 10 year old tycon no one wants to buy a 10 year old e-tron and that's the thing i mean right now no one wants to buy a 10 year old laptop i mean that's kind of how i I think about these things you know i i wonder if what may happen just thinking out of the box here is um, obviously these companies have sunk a lot of R and D to get their EV EVs off the ground. And so they've started with the latest and greatest and, you know, supercars to try to recoup some of that and to kind of like an Audi R8 type thing, like create brand recognition yeah, yeah get people big margin per vehicle sold. Yeah, get people in, you know, in the and then as they amortize those costs and drive down costs, perhaps you can maybe still have a Corolla that that is an EV that doesn't have tons of gadgets, and maybe mm-hmm. that thing is uh, just can go for you know go for days because right. um, it's just otherwise very simple. Like there's less whiz bang stuff on it and and i think Mm -hmm. for for this to really be sensible you know from cradle to grave with these evs we do need to get to a point where they can can stay operational for 10 to 15 10 to 15 maybe even 20 years in some cases well, yeah, uh, because it, it takes what 50 to 60,000 miles for them to even become less damaging to the environment than it, an yeah, I mean, car. It kind of depends a little bit. Um, you know, part of it depends on how are they manufactured. You know, with the Taycan, Porsche's invested a lot of green energy into the like the plants that they build them with. Like a lot of the inputs going into that factory are are renewables. Mm-hmm. And so it depends a little bit on that. It depends a little bit on how often you drive. If you put a lot of miles on the car, you earn it back quite quickly. So right. if you're putting 15,000 miles on a year, it may actually only take you like two years Three and a half to kind of yeah. hit new, the neutral point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it depends a little bit on the power grid where you live. If you're in a pretty heavy renewable energy area, versus then, a coal power plant yeah like it's mm-hmm. they all have but but in in broad terms it's i would say maybe three three to four years so I've, I've read less you know two years in some cases so somewhere in there okay. um you know kind of depending so on net average cradle to grave they do reduce co2 emissions and that's really just a zero-sum game 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, like Dave said, about, he's like, you know, in some ways, keeping these cars that we've already manufactured and we put the investment in running operational and efficient is maybe a little bit better for the environment than switching into a, an early adopter EV when that technology is only going to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I think it's still... We're we're in the iPhone one and two phase where yeah, each each iPhone that comes out, you're like, oh my god, this is significantly oh, yeah. better. And now we were talking about this the other day. Other day, like, I, know. I have an iPhone ten. I have yeah. zero interest in the iPhone. I am the same it's way. It's not a big change. My wife and I literally said that tonight. We were getting texts from Verizon like, "You've paid off fifty you percent of your phone." It's like, no, I think I bought those outright. Yeah. Um, but they were basically like, you can trade, you can trade. And I was like, it's really no, frankly, no different than the one I had. Yeah. Like They've I been don't sending care. Us the same texts. And, and it's, yeah, like, it's like, I honestly don't care. Like they're really expensive now. They're obnoxiously expensive. Yeah, like a thousand dollars. Yeah. I'm only going to buy one when mine has like completely shit the bed and has no battery life left. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, so you know, kind of dovetailing with our EV discussion about how complex these cars are and, and whatnot, one thing kind of indisputable is how fast pretty much all these EVs are because yeah. of the nature of their power delivery. And I heard this, you know, I heard this, this has been discussed before, but I think it's kind of an interesting idea of, you know, we have not only EVs, but sports cars in general. You're talking about the T is as fast as like a 996 turbo was back in the day (laughs) yeah you know with how fast everything is getting the question has come up and i've read it other places uh is should we have some sort of stratified licensing system or special license if your car that you're going to be driving is capable of a certain speed and and kind of what's really piqued my interest in this and we've talked about this car before but like for example the hummer ev a nine thousand pound car that can go zero to 60 in three seconds essentially just a horrific battering ram if it gets into an accident yeah and it's being driven by people who maybe are used to driving chevy tahoes their entire adult life you know yeah they don't know about how to drive a car that can go that quickly yeah and so you know i was curious to kind of see what you thought about that yeah, especially if they're not conscientious on the road. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, my Taycan, I wouldn't say it accelerates, it teleports. Like, yeah. You know that after driv- having driven oh, yeah. it. And yeah. I, I recognize that that's fun, but it also can cause a lot of chaos, like in confusion from mm-hmm. people. And it can, it can appear in spaces where they're like, no car should be able to appear here, so I'm going to merge. Mm-hmm. And if you're not conscientious about that, I think you're at real risk of creating accidents. And if you're a young person with lots of, you know, testosterone floating through your brain, maybe not making great decisions, uh, definitely makes you, makes me concerned. Um, right. I, I'm as a, as I've gotten older, I'm a little bit more of a pessimist. And so I think in this country, it will really come down to, wait a minute, is that going to get in the way of making money? Well, yeah, mm-hmm. it's going to save some lives, but it's going to get in the way of making money. Yeah. So it's a no, well, it's a no go. <laughs> I, I also, I, I think it would be a non-starter. I, I think the idea is good. 
I also like the idea of a graded. You can't just go drive a semi. You have to, you have to take some tests. Extra training. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and, and also, and the funny thing is, I think you do have to be a license, have a commercial license to drive a Hummer EV in Europe uh, Mm -hmm. because of the weight. But good for them. You know, the, the other thing, what, which could kind of go along with this that I've heard talked about is having variable speed limits based on your driver's license level. So, mm-hmm. like, say you and I went through a bunch of extra training, we did the classes, etc. You and I have a license, and maybe it's somewhere on our our license plate as well, so the police know that you're allowed to do it. We can do 85 on the highway on in a 70, you know, mm-hmm. we're legally. Um, and that's kind of the carrot to get people that's to do the more extensive driver training. I like that. I mean, that's I, basically kind of like, you know, super licensing and stuff, you know. Like, exactly. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, it's the same concept. And so that that definitely attracts me. I think probably where we'll realistically settle in this country, I would assume, is... Um, kind of like we manage a number of other things is insurance. Yeah. You know, um, you, you bought the hundred thousand dollar car. That's like you said, a battering Ram mm-hmm. on wheels. Uh, we're going to give you some grace. We're going to assume mm-hmm. you're a good driver, but if you're not, if you're not, and you get in an accident, we are going to bend you over. Yeah. And right. your policy is going to triple or quadruple or 10 yeah. times what you were right. paying. Because these things are very expensive for us to fix. We don't mm-hmm. like that. And you've declared yeah. yourself. And you killed an two people hat. in your last accident. Yeah, you're an asshat yeah. on the road. So um, you're going to either have no insurance mm-hmm. and you're going to be left with the bill to fix it, or um, you know your insurance is going to cost you you know five six thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it might and then it might be like. I just, I just, I can't own that car. I couldn't afford the insurance. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that'll be the solution. Well, I mean, that, that has been a solution like in, in Europe, the, uh, at least in England, I know the, um, insurance is extremely expensive for sports cars, depending on your age. So like mm-hmm. if you're, if you're a, a teenager and you can, even if you can afford to buy say a new M3, for mm-hmm. example, the insurance is going to be horrifically expensive. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I, I think it, I think it's an interesting idea though, to have, I think you're right in how it will shake out. Um, I think we've seen in, in this country, at least what, what happens when you try and tell anybody what they can <laughs> and can't purchase or do. We're so bad, man. We're so yeah. bad. Like I can't imagine. It's embarrassing. Through. I can't imagine we'd get away with telling anyone they can't buy a Hummer unless they get a special license. You know? <laughs> I know um, we're just not that country. We're just not that even country. though even though it probably makes a lot of sense. We're not that country. But I, I, you know, I think from a public safety standpoint, it does make a lot of sense that just because you're wealthy, yeah, and can walk into a McLaren dealership and buy a car, yeah, doesn't, that doesn't, is a, a, a missile, idiot. yeah. yeah. I've been trying. I mean, Go ahead. Yeah, I was just—I was just going to say it's these things that really, truthfully, limit the use case for my like old school BMW 2002 to very 
mm-hmm. uh, defined scenarios like oh yeah low speed in town because um an ev hummer and a bmw 2002 yeah will not go together well <laughs> well it's i i told i told my wife i said it you know because she was asking about you know when we get her her car whether she could come up to some of the pca events or or at least come to like cars and coffee or whatever and i said you could i said but we'd want to find a a, a surface street back road country road way to get there and not yeah. take the highway because that would be kind of you know i when we were out in um hawaii last year i drove you know i drove one of these speedsters and that's kind of how we decided we wanted to buy one and it was obviously amazing because our experience led us to want to get one but when you did pull up next to a ford f-150 or a toyota tacoma or a chevy suburban it was like holy crap man like i know man you're telling me looking down into my lap you know (laughs) you're Um, telling me man (laughs) it's really intimidating um it it kind of made it gave me a feeling kind of like back when I used to do a lot of road biking that okay yeah. I lose any fight I get into out here so yeah. I need to be extremely mindful of everyone else on the road yeah um, and that's the exact same thing in, in a little car like that and so um, you know I I do for the sake of public safety I think it would be a really good idea to say okay. You want a car that is capable of 200 plus miles an hour and a zero to 60 time under three and a half seconds. That's fine. Uh, but in addition to actually being able to afford the car, you also have to do these special training courses. And, yeah. and, and if you have X number of violations with this car in terms of speeding and or reckless driving, whatever, your license gets revoked. You can no longer legally drive that car. Um, yeah, or you know, if it got to be a big enough problem, they seize your car. Yeah, right. And you're I, out the car, like we took the problem away. Yeah, <clears throat> you you you're not able to do. You're not able to use this responsibly, so you're yeah. not allowed to use it. And I think, yeah. from a public health and public safety standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. But like you said, I think in this country, there's just no way it would happen. We're, yeah. we're way too individualistic. Yeah, it's basically going to become in this country, for better or for worse, mostly for worse. Um, <clears throat> there's going to be people driving these like effing castles, aircraft mm-hmm. carriers, and then anybody who doesn't have money will be left in the, you know, Honda Civic from 1997. That'll and, get demolished in an accident. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that well, just, and, I don't know, just seems and, to be how we roll. Well, and, and with the technology being what it is, I think it's becoming, you know, you look what's in uh, Mercedes EQS, for example, with that hyper screen or whatever it's called. I don't know <laughs> yeah, you're, you're... <laughs> how I wouldn't be distracted trying to drive. I was just thinking that. So um, I, I just had that thought today because I was driving the Taycan up for the service and I switched charging modes uh, overnight because I wanted it to go to 100%. For battery health, you don't mm. you don't tend to go all the way to 100. You know, when you're kind of given week right. weekly commuting, you usually just go up to like 80 or 85. 
Right. But then I was like, I need to switch it back because they're, they're kind enough to uh, top me off up at the um, dealership. Cause it just sits there usually while they're working on it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want it to go back to a hundred cause it might <clears throat> sit there for a couple of days. And I was like, where in the hell is the button <laughs> to yeah. switch this back? It was just here a minute ago. And so yeah, like, it's under, it's in like an and like, the eight sub menu you went into. <laughs> I was finally just like, I literally was like, screw it. I yeah. got to just focus on driving. I don't know where the hell this button went. Yeah. It was here. It's gone. I'll well, just try to remember up at the dealership. I was listening to a, a podcast. But it was very distracting. It was very distracting. And it was not a good time to be doing that. Yeah. Well, and you don't think about it because you're like, you've got a lane keep assist that's going to beep at you or move your car for you. Yeah. You've got radar control, cruise control. Um, yeah. You're like, I think I got a couple of seconds here. I can just, you know, look away. And that's all around. That's when you get that's in trouble. When shit goes sideways. <laughs> well, you know, what made me think of it is I was listening to a podcast um, by a, a British, um, he's, he's actually a car YouTuber, but he was, he got a Mercedes EQS to review, like a press car. And he said he loved it, but that for the first like 15, 20 minutes when he was driving on the highway, he <laughs> was like, I, I almost rear-ended two people. I yeah. almost like went off the road a little bit. He's like, cause I, there were bings and bongs and lights flashing. And st- he's like, <laughs> I couldn't pay attention to driving. Um, you know, and that's that Matt Farah from the smoking tire. He's, he's also, he also does articles for um, road and track, but he wrote a piece on yeah. what is the point of um, these uh things like Blue Cruise and Tesla's full self-driving, these kind of advanced um, cruise control systems. And, and his his takeaway, and I agree with it, is like it basically is so we can dick around on our phones. Like yeah. there's no other really good reason to have these things than for us to to not, you know, to mess around and, and be distracted. And, the, and, the, and like we've, I think, talked about this before in previous episodes, but you know, the problem with it is they're not that good yet. No, you still um, have to maintain and, vigilance. And you ba- so you basically have to still be vigilant the whole time. Now, you can probably safely dial that down 20%, which mm-hmm. is kind of like what I do in the, the Taycan. If I flip it on, I'll kind of dial my, I'll tune in a little bit more to the music or mm-hmm. know, look a little bit into the distance at things that I might not normally look at. But mm-hmm. I'm back onto the road with my eyes and, you know, my kind of driver's engagement because I don't, <clears throat> the, the system does kind of quirky things once in a while. Yeah. And so you really need to be on top of it anyway. So you can't just like check out. Right. Um, 100%. Like not yeah. even with these systems, which are actually like mostly half decent, but then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they just do crazy stuff that you can't predict. Right. Um, and somebody had a good example of that the other day. I was reading about just like, you know, how it's been the promised land for, well, it feels like a, at least a half decade or decade now about it. It's just around the corner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you and I, you know, we work in medicine. And so we've seen these kind of AI programs come into medicine. And they've been saying for years, like, you guys are going to all get replaced um, mm-hmm. as imaging experts. And then you see them in use and you're like, this is really not that different from my car's cruise control. Like, 
Right. It's pretty damn good, but it screws up in pretty bad ways sometimes. Well, we had a and, we had a guest speaker on AI uh, recently on on campus, and and he he said, you know, the way in medicine, the way the AI systems came in, Silicon Valley basically said this like ten years ago. We're going to replace all radiologists with these systems. This is e- this is going to be easy. And then <laughs> the next phase was okay. This isn't as easy as we thought. And now he said they're getting into the third phase, which is okay. We're not really going to be able to do their job fully. How can we? How can we help? Cre- them? How can we help them and be a decision support tool? Um, yeah. And that's where I think a lot of these, you know, things are coming in. It's like, you know. In perfectly, you know, you look at where robo taxis have been rolled out. Uh, Phoenix uh, in Scottsdale area, and I just saw that I think Waymo is going to start operating in LA. What do those places have in common? Very little rain. Basically, yeah. grid system grid systems of of uh, grid layouts to to large sections yeah. of their city, easily geofenced. So and honestly, try and do try and do that when you are in the north and have snow covering the lane. And, and honestly, and I think that's almost like the worst case place to start with this stuff because someone had a great analogy the other day, like when you and I are driving and we see a big, you know, raven on the road. We're like, oh, that that guy's going to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. But if there's a coyote on the road, we're like, or a deer, we're like, I don't know if he's going to get out of the way, so I need to start hitting the brakes. Right. Um, but the AI doesn't recognize the difference between a bird mm-hmm. and like a mammal on the ground, and it just mm-hmm. slams the brakes for all of them and creates right. hassles for everybody around them. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, feel like I feel like this kind of self-driving car thing is um, it loses what the piece of the equation it's missing is that we as humans and just like generally creatures on the planet have evolved over like billions of years, millions and millions of mm-hmm. years to navigate space. Right. And make and decisions. We, we, we have the hubris constantly. to say we can do it in a decade. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think it's really, it, it's, it is oddly satisfying to me to see in two realms of my life that I'm very interested in, which is what I do for work and my hobby, which is yeah. automotive stuff. That AI is trying and failing to do <laughs> the know. job that I do in both those realms. <laughs> I, know. I know, I know, yeah. A little bit harder than it looks. Yeah, yeah. I, very satisfying. Well, I think that's going to about do it for this week. Um, you know, I think the, the ultimately, you know, the future is here in some ways and it's still quite a ways off in others, um, which is probably how it's been and how it always will be. But I think it was a it was a really fun conversation. Thanks for saying that article and and kind of yeah, kicking things off. Absolutely. But, um, anything else you want to add, bud? No, that's it. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Um, be sure to check us out on Instagram at the Blowfell Podcast. Um, if you have any show ideas or questions, it's a good place to to hit us up. Be sure to uh, rate us, subscribe to us on iTunes and wherever else you get your podcasts. Super helpful to to get us out to a wider audience. And until then, we'll see you in a couple weeks.